Good morning. Go ahead and open in your Bible to 2 Samuel 5. The title of the sermon this morning is Kingdom. I don't normally open by just announcing the title, but uh, that's an important detail in this story that I'm about to tell. Last Saturday, I was sitting at home, I was working on my sermon, and this, this sermon, the title was already picked, uh, had been for a few weeks, and so I was upstairs in my bedroom working on this sermon when I heard a knock at the door. I thought it was probably one of my son's friends, so I went down, opened the door, but there were two women standing there, and I saw that one of them was holding uh, this in her hand, which says Watchtower on it, and so I knew that they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And they wanted to start a conversation with me, and they opened with this line. They said, we're in your neighborhood, and we're wondering if you ever think much about the kingdom of God. (laughs) And I didn't have the heart to tell them that they're literally interrupting me from trying to think about the kingdom of God, trying to to write a sermon about the kingdom of God. I was actually happy to talk with them, though, uh, ask them how they became Jehovah's Witnesses and heard some of their stories. And then I was able to share with them why I believe that Jesus is Jehovah. Uh, But as they were leaving, they left me with this, uh, says right on it, what is God's kingdom, and this beautiful picture of peace and serenity. Uh, But inside, there are pictures of war and earthquakes and disease and catastrophes and food shortages and, and all of the hurt that we experience in this world. And what they're on to is that there, there is something that's universal that every human feels, that we long for something better, a better kingdom, a better world. When, when things are going well, relatively joyful or easy life, then we can distract ourselves with the, the ease of life and with entertainment and with pleasure and just activity. But, but when the bottom drops out, When you're face-to-face with death or cancer diagnosis or a marriage that's falling apart or a job that's falling apart or whatever it is, when, when the hurt and the heartache starts to be felt, then every human at some point in their life feels like, I'm, I'm desiring something better. There has to be something better. We want a better world. We want a better kingdom. It was 10 years ago today uh, that my dad died. He was 55, died of cancer. And it, it was promises of God's kingdom that, that helped sustain me. It still hurts. It's still painful. I still hate it. But I can, I can look back on how there were, there were promises that sustained me through that. And it wasn't just promises of my future, promises of, of heaven, It was actually also looking at Old Testament stories and seeing about how God was faithful in the past, faithful through generations, faithful to his promises then that anchored me and became like this foundation, something that I could cling to, something that I could believe in and know that he was faithful then and so I can trust him to be faithful with his promises in the future. And that's what this story that we're looking at in 2 Samuel 5 today does. This is a chapter of celebration. It's a chapter of victory. We've been been through a lot of waiting, 
a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty as we've looked at David's story leading up to today. But today he's finally anointed king and what we're, what we're going to read about is the, the prosperity, the victory of his kingdom as it's established, as he is anointed king. Before we read it, I just want to mention one other thing that can help us as we think through the, the organization of this chapter. Graham Goldsworthy defines the kingdom of God this way. Maybe you've heard it. He says, it's God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And that actually is going to to fit. He says that's a pattern that as you read through the Old Testament, you see that. And it helps us understand what God is going to do in his future kingdom as well. But in this chapter, as we read about David's kingdom, we will see God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. And here's what I think we will leave with today is believing that in God's kingdom, no promises are left behind. In God's kingdom, none of his promises are left behind. They are all yes and amen. Let's look at chapter five, verse one. We'll read through down to verse five. It says, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, here we are, your own flesh and blood. Even while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led us out to battle and brought us back. The Lord also said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron in the Lord's presence And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began his reign. He reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. We were introduced to David back in 1 Samuel 16, where he was anointed to be the king. And it's been 20 chapters now of waiting We've, we've traced David as he's gone through wilderness years, as he was uh, pursued by Saul. Saul wanted him dead. Uh, and David was waiting and waiting and waiting and trusting on the Lord. And many times probably it looked like the odds are stacked against him. He's not going to come through. These promises of God, I don't know what they were for, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. But then, then we see Saul die. David survived Saul And at that moment, you could could think that David's probably feeling like, okay, God was faithful to his promises. Here we go. But last week's sermon showed us that's not what happened. There were years then of of civil war as the tribes of Israel turned against David. They they fall after Abner and Ishbosheth. And and so there was this civil war. And it's not like David had half. There were 11 tribes that were against David, and there was one tribe. David had one little tribe that he was king over for these years. And again, he could be thinking, well, I don't know. What does this mean for God's promises? But David kept waiting and kept trusting. And here, finally, these promises of God come true. The promises that were given to David in chapter 16, the promises that, that Saul even referenced were, were given to, the, are finally fulfilled here in chapter 5. 
So by establishing his king, uniting a nation, God is fulfilling his promises. But, but it's not actually just the promises that started in chapter 16 or chapter 13 when God said, I'm going to choose a man after my own heart. Actually, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis 17, Abraham was promised, kings are going to come from you. And then in chapter 49 of Genesis, it says the scepter will not depart from the house of Judah, the tribe of Judah. And so there was promise that there would be a king on, in God's kingdom on the throne from the tribe of Judah, and Saul wasn't from the tribe of Judah. And so here, after all these years, God is faithful to his promise. He's united a people and established them under a king. The tribes of Israel come to David, you can imagine, probably a little sheepishly, tail between their legs, they're repenting, they're coming. They've been in rebellion against David, but they come to him now and they, they reference three reasons that he should be their king. They say, you're our flesh and blood. So they're acknowledging he's one of them. He's their, he's their family. And then they say, David, when, even when Saul was king, you were the one. You were the one who defended us. You were the one who protected us. You were the one who led us into victory in battle. And then this final thing that he mentions, that they mentioned to him, is they quote the promise of God. They're referencing, David, God chose you. They say, the Lord also said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be ruler over Israel. We don't know exactly where that quote is from, but what they are referencing is God promised this, David. This, this moment right here is in fulfillment of God's promises. Against all odds, Against all opposition, God fulfills his promises. In his kingdom, no promise is left behind. I'm going to ask this question. What promise of God are you struggling right now to believe? Think about that. Think what promise is in God's word but doesn't feel true. It's, it's hard to believe that this is true. Maybe the odds are stacked against it. Opposition just feels too strong. But there's, there's something right now maybe that, that you're doubting. Something that feels too difficult. Like this, this doesn't feel like. God, God promises this, but it, I'm not sure if I can trust it. You know, we look back at reviews for just about everything. You go to a restaurant, at least I do, and if it's a new restaurant, I want to check the reviews. And so what am I doing at that moment? I'm, I'm looking at, okay, this place made a good meal back in September of 2021, and this person liked it, uh, and I'm now looking back, okay, if they made good food back in 2021, and this person had a good meal there, then I can trust that if I go there, I'll eat good food as well. That, that seems like the stakes aren't very high for that. But what if it's, what if it's a surgeon? And maybe you're not looking at Google reviews, but you're, you're in other ways. You're trying to find out testimonials. You don't, want, you don't want to go to a surgeon on their first surgery. Someone has to, but I don't want it to be me. I want to know this surgeon saved this hundreds of lives, uh, this many surgeries, 
and no complications, no problems, all were successful. I want to know if I'm going to someone that in the past there has been success and that helps me believe that in the future I can trust them with my present, I can trust them with my future. And this is what the Old Testament does for us. We look back at the faithfulness of God in the past. And we can, we can identify some with what David was feeling maybe as he's going through this time of waiting. And then, and then we think, yes, I feel that right now. I feel like I don't know how God's going to come through. But I can see that he did for them. I can see that he fulfilled his promises then. And so I can trust him now with my life. I can trust him then with my future as well. Imagine reading this a couple hundred years after David. If you know the story of Israel, David's kind of the high point. This is a, a high point in First and Second Samuel. It's really a, a high point in the Old Testament as a whole because the people of Israel are going to start this downward spiral. The kingdom divides evil king after evil king, and, and they could be reading this. The original readers of First and Second Samuel and thinking, I don't know how God's going to get us out of this one, but I can read about how he did it then. I can read about how he was faithful to David and faithful in these promises and faithful in, in establishing him as king and, and uniting his people and in this covenant that God has made that I will be your God and you will be my people, that this, has come, this came true in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel. And it gives us confidence then, God will do it again. In, in these first five verses, we see God fulfilling his prom promises by establishing his people under his king. This next section shows how God fulfills his promises by establishing a place for his people, by capturing Jerusalem. Let's read starting in verse 6. It says, The king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites who inhabited the land. The Jebusites had said to David, You will never get in here. Even the blind and the lame can repel you thinking David can't get in here. Yet David did capture the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. He said that day, whoever attacks the Jebusites must go through the water shaft to reach the lame and the blind who are despised by David. For this reason, it is said, the blind and the lame will never enter the house. David took up residence in the stronghold, which he named the city of David. He built it up all the way around from the supporting terraces inward. Jebusites here are trash-talking David. They're taunting him and his men, saying, you're never going to get into Jerusalem. You guys have tried in the past, but you cannot conquer us. We could defend this city even if we were blind, even if we were lame. And so in some way, David exploits a weakness. There's a, a water tunnel there, and he uses that in some way to get in, and he does capture Jerusalem. And, and this is, if you're God's people reading this later, you're understanding now the origin story of how Jerusalem became the capital of God's people and how Jerusalem then becomes this, this central place. It's called God's holy mountain. It's, it's Zion. Jerusalem means city of peace. In Psalm 2, verse 6, it says that God has established his king on his holy mountain. I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And so there, there are these promises of God. So how, how does Jerusalem fit into all this? The lens that we're looking through at this chapter is seeing how the victory 
experienced here in David's kingdom is in fulfillment of promises of God. So why Jerusalem? Why does that matter? There were promises that God made 800 years before David captures Jerusalem. In Genesis 15, God promises to Abraham land. It's called the promised land. Uh, and, and he says to them, you can read it there. I've, I've cut out some of it just so that it fits on the screen there. But he, God is saying, I will give this land to your offspring. And then he lists peoples who are in that land currently. And God says, I will drive them out because this land is mine. This land is, will be the promised land where you will dwell. And the Jebusites are specifically mentioned in that promise. But it's not just Genesis 15. Eleven more times in the Old Testament, God refers to this promise. And the Jebusites are specifically mentioned eleven more times. But then when you read Judges 1.21, you read that the Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites. And so what would that do? It would feel like, it would look like, God didn't fulfill his promise. Not just something he said in passing, something that showed up 11 times, and, and, and yet they're still there. And so here in chapter 5, God is coming through on promises that are centuries old and giving his people his holy mountain as David goes in and then sets up his capital city there, Jerusalem, the city of peace. So come back again to that question. What promises of God are you struggling to believe right now? And, and identify here with these people, with, with this specific promise. How, how, how does this help us? It, it shows us that sometimes the waiting is what's hardest. Maybe your faith starts off strong at first. Uh, you're looking and you're trusting God and your faith is strong, but just after years and years and years, it starts to feel like maybe this promise isn't going to come true. 15 minutes turns into 15 days, turns into 15 years like it was for David, or 800 years like it was for this. You won't go through that, but, but long time, a long time of waiting. And it's in the moments of pain that time just stands still, too. And it feels really long. Time flies when you're having fun, they say. But when you're experiencing heartache and difficulty, it just stands still. Einstein said this. He's speaking of the relativity of time. And he says, when you sit with a nice girl for two hours, you think it's only a minute. But when you sit on a stove for a minute, it feels like two hours. And what he's acknowledging there is sometimes time goes like that. But when you're waiting... When you're waiting on a promise from God, when you're waiting on him to come through, sometimes it just drags on. But when we look in the past, we can see that in God's kingdom, no promise, no promise is left behind. Against all odds, against all opposition, no matter how long it takes, God will come through on his promises. So there's a Fulfillment of God's promises for his people. Fulfillment of God's promises for his place. And now looking at the rest of this chapter, we'll see God fulfilling his promises 
through his rule and his blessing, the way that he's watching over his people, the way that he's guiding his people, the way that he's protecting his people. Start reading in verse 10. David became more and more powerful. And the Lord God of armies was with him. King Haram of Tyre sent envoys to David. He also sent cedar logs, carpenters, stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. What do you see there? In verse 10, you see the presence of God. It says the Lord God of armies was with him. You see God's presence there. This is God's blessing on, on David. And you see even outsiders, this king from, from outside is, is sending tribute, sending this envoy to, to honor David and to, to show that, that, that David is the one that God has set up here as this king. And so even outsiders are honoring him. David's kingdom is, is growing. And, and what does David take from that? He says, I know the Lord has established me. In verse Verse 13, it says, And he arrived from Hebron. David took concubines and wives from Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of those born to him in Jerusalem. Shammuah, Shabab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. Even that right there is... In, in this ancient Near Eastern time, it would have shown the prosperity of a king to have all these children. But there's, there's hidden in there a pointer as well. We, we saw it last week's sermon that this, these, are, these are downfalls of David as well as he takes concubines and, and wives. David's not the ultimate king that we're looking for. Verse 17, look at God's protection though of his people. It says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel... They all went in search of David, but he heard about it and went down to the stronghold. So the Philistines came and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Then David inquired of the Lord, should I attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord replied to David, attack, for I will certainly hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim and defeated them there and said, like a bursting flood, the Lord has burst out against my enemies before me. Therefore, he named that place, the Lord bursts out. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Here's another scene. It says the Philistines came up again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not attack directly, but circle around behind them and come at them opposite of the balsam trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees... Act decisively, for then the Lord will have gone out ahead of you to strike down the army of the Philistines. So David did exactly as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Geba to Gezer. There, there are different vignettes or scenes in this chapter. This chapter doesn't all happen in a short amount of time. David's anointed king, and sometime later he goes and defeats Jerusalem. Sometime later, this king sends tribute to him. And then we read of these two different accounts where God is protecting David and the Philist from the Philistines and giving them victory. This is the last time that we read of a major conflict with the Philistines. And so God does bring relative peace to his people. So you see God here 
fulfilling his promises of blessing. The Lord of God of armies was with David. That presence of the Lord, that's different than what Saul experienced. And then also, as David repeatedly inquires of the Lord, that's different from Saul. And, so, and, and the Lord here answering David and, and telling him what he should do. And the way that he's causing David to prosper, the way that he's established David here as king, the way that he's guiding him and answering him and, and showing him where he should go, and, and the relative peace and prosperity that's coming here to the kingdom of God. God is the one who defeats the Philistines. It says like a bursting forth, this, this flood that just bursts through and wipes out the Philistines. This is what David was experiencing here. But was this promised? That's the lens we're looking at this chapter. The promise of, of God being fulfilled. We know the first section was promised as David was promised to be king. We know the next one was promised as, as God promised this land to his people. But where's the promise here of victory over the Philistines? It's actually just two chapters back. In chapter 3, verse 18, these are words from Abner. Abner says, The Lord has spoken concerning David. Through my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the power of the Philistines and the power of all Israel's armies. The Philistines weren't, weren't coming after David when he was just ruler of the tribe of Judah. But now as this nation unites, as God's people are united under God's king here, David, now the Philistines are worried and they keep coming and approaching. They're, they're coming within, within eyesight of Jerusalem down in this valley. And so David's inquiring of the Lord and, and here, this is why David could have confidence to, to call out to the Lord and ask for the Lord's help. And God came through here again. God is the one, it says, that struck down the Philistines. Yeah, it's through his people. But the, the way this is written is meant to point us back to God here again is coming through on all of his promises. You look at this chapter. You look back on chapter 5 of 2 Samuel as the this overview of David's kingdom and what comes through in every section is that these are fulfillments of God's kingdom promises. But I already mentioned how we look at David here in this chapter and there are hints even there that he's not the ultimate king. And if you were reading this even in the original audience, you would have known he's not the ultimate king because he's, he's dead. And so they're, 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 they're finding themselves, as they're reading this, they're finding themselves at a time when they're looking back on these promises and they're supposed to cling to them of how do we know then that God is going to protect us again? How do we know that he's going to be faithful to his covenant with us again? God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And in this chapter, though, there are patterns that help us to know what promises can we cling to there are patterns in this chapter that point us forward to christ and his kingdom and the church can fill us with confidence that, that against all odds against all opposition god is going to come through on all of his promises they will all be yes and amen just like the children of israel turned to David in repentance. They were in rebellion and they turned to David now in submission to him as their king. We are called as people of God to turn away from our rebellion 
and to turn to him and submit to him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we do, listen to this promise. Like David welcomed the people in. He didn't act in vengeance. He didn't didn't conquer them in order to get them in. He welcomed them in and it says that he made a covenant with them. This language is pointing us forward to the same way Jesus welcomes us in. And he calls us his people. Jesus made a new covenant with us saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. That covenant language, that might be the promise that right now you are struggling the most to believe. That God is your God and that you are his people. That he welcomes you in. That you are his child. That he loves you. That he delights in you. That he has made this covenant relationship with you. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to believe in this life is that I'm his. He is mine. And there's nothing that can separate me from that. These are the promises that he will be our God, that we will be his people. And just like David goes and secures a place in fulfillment of God's promises, there is a place that is promised for us. Jerusalem serves as this pointer all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It's pointing forward to this promised land that is promised to us, the new heavens and the new earth where God will dwell among us. And this theme of, of temple, there's coming a temple that's going to be built later. And as we keep reading through Samuel and Kings, there's a temple that's going to be built. But that temple even was, was just this pointer forward to, to God's presence with his people. And, and Jesus then says, I am that temple. And then he says, when he leaves, he says, you will be my temple as the Holy Spirit lives in you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And so we, as God's people, with confidence can know that he is coming again. And there is coming a final fulfillment of his kingdom. When there is no more death, when there is no more sorrow, when there is no more suffering, and we can cling to that promise that he will be our God, we will be his people, and that we will dwell with him forever. And and then he promises blessing. And just like God was with his people, God was with David here, and God was giving guidance, and God was, was helping. And then, and then David even experienced peace as the enemies were defeated by God. There is a promise that God will also defeat all of our greatest enemies, death and hell and Satan, and we will live with him, not in a temporal peace, but in an eternal peace forever. And, and just like outsiders even gave honor to David, this king of Tyre is, is sending these, this tribute and this, these ways, these gifts to David. There is coming a day when outsiders will give honor to the king of kings, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords. These promises are rock solid. And there are times in life when it doesn't feel like it. And it's helpful for us as God's people to look back 
And see, he was faithful through generations. Why would he fail now? He was faithful then. I can trust him with my future. Even when promises didn't look like they were going to come true in the past, they did. And there are many more. This is just one example. There are many more in the Bible that we can look to and see these promises and these prophecies fulfilled. And that gives us hope and confidence as we look forward that we can trust him now. And so as his people, ask yourself that question. What promise of God am I struggling right now to believe? And then you might want to find it. Find it in God's word. Read it. Write it out. Memorize it. What are, what are promises of God, of his presence with me, of, of my identity in Christ and, and with him, of his love for me, of his promise for my future? Find those promises and cling to them as anchors in storms. When I was with my dad in the hospital right before he died, I read to him Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 has been, for me, one of these kingdom promise chapters that is, has provided a foundation for me when everything around feels like it's shaking. And I read to him, starting in verse 18, where it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. All the way down to the end, of course, it includes in there that all things are working together for good. Those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And then it finishes, Paul says, I'm convinced. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those promises anchored me. After reading them to my dad, he said, I'll miss you guys. I said, no, you won't. Just needed to argue with him one more time. <laughs> God had given me in that moment a, a confidence in his promises and a hope there have been times of, of wavering and times of difficulty, times of darkness. But I, I look back on, on things God's done in my life and I look back on ways that he was faithful through generations in the Old Testament and it gives me confidence and hope that he will be faithful with the future as well. And what it creates in us, what it creates in me, causes us to be people of hope, people of faith, People who look to Christ as our firm foundation. That if he was faithful through generations, why would he fail now? He won't. Let's pray.